0: Hello people, what is happening? This week on the podcast we'll have Caelan Boyd-Munce. Caelan is a Northern Ireland international for the Under-21s team. He also plays for Birmingham. He just signed a professional contract, Birmingham playing the championship. So he's playing a real high standard of football and hopefully we'll get to see him play a lot more games this season. We'll talk about his career, we'll talk about life. his life playing football, we talk about what he did as a youth, what it takes to be a professional what barriers is there in the game? We talk about some young players coming up from Northern Ireland. We talk about a whole host of things. The whole conversation was great. Now I'm really excited about talking to you about next week's episode. It's been a long time coming. We've got Raquel Pennington from the UFC on talking about her career. We talk about her title fight against Amanda Nunes. We talk about her coming back. We talk about her ban from USADA. We talk about so, so much. So make sure you're tuning in. Make sure you hit that follow button. And always... Make sure you're following me on social media to keep up to date. Now, let's begin. Welcome to Josh Toys. Well, mate, how are you? I'm dead on
1: him. Just getting back in the swing of things. We we'll had a wee bit of a, a hiccup at the start of pre-season. Everybody had to go into isolation and stuff. So just really starting pre-season this week. So it's starting to take its toll.
0: Oh, did you just have a COVID scare?
1: Uh, yeah, was, I think there was quite a lot of boys in isolation. Um, Our keeper at the minute, Aethers, is in critical condition in hospital. So, yeah. Oh,
0: put me. There. Yeah, I've seen a lot. So I would work for like uh, the NHS and, you know, I think they're all preparing now for sort of fourth wave coming.
1: Yeah, I've heard, you know what? I've heard that quite a lot recently and I can see it coming because every second person I'm hearing is getting track and trace notifications and the to isolate and stuff. So I can see it.
0: I think it's all the things started to open up there with the with the Euros and then obviously back home in Northern Ireland, it was July. So July is always a mad time in Northern Ireland
1: always but over here as well next week everything's opening normally in a couple of days like night clubs and stuff so
0: it's only going to get worse isn't it how how do you find playing in front of no fans do you know what
1: i um i when i just broke in we obviously that was stadiums were still packed so it was maybe start of 2020 and i was playing in front of fans and it was class but i still wasn't used to it because i was obviously used to playing younger age groups so just mm-hmm. as I started breaking in, COVID happened. So it was kind of normal for me not to be playing in front of their fans, if you get me, because obviously playing for the 23s and stuff. But from the experience of playing in front of them, like my championship debut was at Bristol City, I used to get three 131 on Sky Sports. And I come on like the 80th minute and there was like, I don't know, 25,000 out of it, 30,000. And there was four or 5,000 Birmingham fans. And the atmosphere was just, Unreal, because obviously you're not used to, I'm not used to that being on the pitch when that's going on. And then when I come on, our striker scored and the stadium just erupted. So just be things like that got stuck with me. And then after lockdown, we went, first game was the Hawthorns against West Brom. And the players, just the boys just couldn't get used to it because they're used to playing in front of so many fans. So it was just, you could hear everything, every ball kicked, every instruction given. And it took away from them to get used to it.
0: Yeah, I've, I've talked to quite a few people now who'd be involved in team sports and they've sort of described it almost as a as a training session. Yep,
1: yeah, I would agree with that. Even the, the tempos, the tempo of the games has been affected massively. and People aren't really noticing it now because it's starting to become like the norm. But if you were to look at games now, compared to even such, even stupid things like tackles, tackles are nowhere near as ferocious as they were. You know what I mean? They haven't got that energy, they haven't got that, 12th man that they always did, so hopefully yeah, that coming back brings a bit more of a kick to the
0: games. So, when you went on loan to uh, was it, was it Reddit? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah what, was that conference?
0: A, uh, I don't,
1: yeah, I don't even know what step it is. I don't, I don't really know how it works. I think it might be like step three.
0: Uh
1: huh. We all, all the 23s at that time, it was my first year on the 23s. We all took like a, a month loan with all different clubs, so. I think there was eight or nine of us went out just to get a taste for the other non-league clubs on the other side of the game over here. Obviously, me being back home, I was kind of used to that. But the boys boys being over here are all academy players, so they never really had that other side of the game. So it was kind of a shock to the system to some of them. But I'm used to that type of style of play, so it wasn't too different for me.
0: I don't know if you would know, but I I had uh, Andy Mitchell on from Lauren, and he talked about from going from... Rangers down to the conference and he talked about it. Just how he got lumps kicked out of him. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. It's just normal. But after the game, it's like
1: shake hands and that's it done. It's it's just it's part of the game. Where if the higher up the level you go, it's not really as as big of a deal. Or even even that Rangers for for him toxic. It'll he'll not have been kicked as much. It'll be more about just playing. But the lower you go, they just they need to they need to add something else to the game to bring the other team down to their level. If you get me. Mm-hmm. And then that's where it gets complicated.
0: Were you watching the Euros?
1: Um. Yeah, every game. Oh, that like was good. Game. Like, I enjoyed it. I was
0: I was strange, you know, seeing football on all the time. Like, it's got me in the mood just for the Premier League now. I, do you know what? I, I
1: would actually go as far as saying It's probably the most enjoyable tournament I've watched. That was very good. I really, really enjoyed it. And the quality was frightening from all the teams. Honestly. Mm-hmm. I was in the bar here watching them in the wee local bar in the England Denmark game. Denmark scored, and I was
0: getting absolute devils. I was <laughs> only
1: out on the place.
0: I, I was. Uh, I thought England did very very well considering how young a team it was.
1: Oh yeah, they were they were brilliant, really really good, and they controlled games quite well. But you can see up yeah, by the amount of goals they conceded. You know what I mean? They run lucky against Italy, a
0: team like that as well. So when when then the penalties did you have? Did you have it? Lee that.
1: I had it, Lee won that before the games, which shocked me because they didn't. But it got to the 60th man, it was like England or at least just dominating this too much not to get the goal. You know what I mean? And then you yeah, just getting the penalties, you're like England never win penalties, no matter who it was against.
0: Yeah, I thought it was. I think it was some crazy stat that was like Donnarumma before the tournament started conceded like two goals in his whole international career. Jesus Christ. He's only 22, isn't he? 23 something they got ridiculous and he is massive about
1: six foot six six foot seven i think he's by he's about six foot seven i think two hundred and fifty odd games he's only
0: 22 he's going to psg isn't
1: he i but they're i heard something about psg saying that he's going to be their second though behind navas i can't I see it second keeper i can't see it i don't know but that madness if they're able to to do up them two type them two levels of keeper do you know what i mean
0: you wouldn't know, I could see them trying to keep Navas happy, just to try and have, you know, good number two. <laughs> good luck. Player yeah. back quality will be hard to
1: please, don't mean.
0: Yeah, and then Ramos signing as well, so it looks like it could be a real good side in Europe. Genie when all them too. Yeah. Would you uh, Would you follow the Premier League much? I'm a Liverpool fan, yeah. Oh man, I'm a massive Liverpool fan. Like, uh,
1: my whole family's just Reds, honestly. So, yeah, broke my heart, I'm leaving.
0: Yeah, I wonder why they couldn't get a, a contract agreed. I've heard a whole lot of things whether it was you know money was involved, and then it was looking not guarantee him the of years and a whole lot of different yeah. things.
1: See, just at the minute with uh, the COVID situation, like the market itself has just dropped. Like, for example, Messi's deal, he took a fifty percent cut. You know what I mean on his wages, and that's a Barcelona. So every club in the world is going to feel the impact of COVID, even the market now in like League One, League One, League Two. Their like transfer fees or budgets have all dropped majorly.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen. Like you can see with like all the news coming out of like Barcelona and Real Madrid, that they're, they're both in like it's like one point two billion worth of debt.
1: Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, scary. And that's all teams like Liverpool and all be included in that because of the pandemic. So there's the budgets are going to have to decrease. It's a it's the only way it's going to work, and the game's going to take a while to get back on its feet, especially the
0: lower levels. mm Hmm. What it did see that was good over back home? Is that Lauren Guthrie? I've
1: seen that. Um, two of my friends play for them. Um, Ronan Hale and Kofi Ballmer. So mm-hmm. I was delighted to see that last night. Ronan scored in our peach. I didn't
0: get a chance to see the game. I was, I was working, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, my wee brother, he, he played with Kofi at Balamena At like under-20s level. And then my other friend, I don't know if you would know him, because he was at the, the Glens. Um, Nathan Best. He was oh, there. Yes. He you played. played. Yeah. What's sorry? He played at Glens, didn't he? Yeah, he, he played at the Glens up until reserve level. And then yeah. he just Rock. went down to the championship and tried games. He was the middle cup, wasn't he? Uh-huh, yeah, went, went, went to the middle
1: cup, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Remember that? I put... Glens, I I was only at the Glens for two years, I think. Um, Kofi, I was at Linfield with Kofi before. Obviously, with the Northern Ireland set up, where we were together. But I've been through. I was around all the, <laughs> the three big boys. I was terrible for it. So I, uh, I, I think that's the best place to, be. to start. Then, what, where did your football journey begin? Um, I was at Newhill, uh, my local team in West Belfast, from I was no age, like, I mean, threes and fours. I was there, um, and then from there I went to Cliftonville at eight. And when I joined Cliftonville, every year up until I joined Linfield, I was always playing the year above. And we had we had some team like, and we were in the national, We were winning the national league every year. We were winning national league cups, everything. So it was just got that wee taste for it early on, just winning everything. And then I got this certain stage. I think it was twelve, where it was like, right. Well, I need to start playing my own age now. So it's a better um it's a better it's a better shop window for me for clubs, because obviously I'll be playing at my own level. So then I decided to take the the plunge and go to Linfield. And I was at Linfield for a few years. Again, won everything at Linfield. But it's starting to get the stage where Northern Ireland was becoming well, what it was was Club NI. So they tried to take they basically took over the training from clubs. We didn't really we never trained with the clubs. And just went there nearly full time as much as we could have. Still, only three times a week, but it was much more than it ever was. And then from there, I went to Glen That was the last club I was at in Belfast.
0: What did you? Obviously, I I went to watch Linfield play quite a lot, and from especially a young level, what you know about Linfield is like they control the game so well from a very young age, like the Parsons. Next thing, I'm like it's all very good, all about game management and stuff, and just controlling the tempo.
1: Oh yeah, and tactically as well. We had um Scott Graham was our coach. I think Scott's still in America now. Scott was a really, really young coach and just he loved the game. Like he was he was frightening. To see his his brain, his footballing brain was absolutely frightening. And even for us at a young age, he had us doing the analysis sessions, pre match sessions, post match sessions like sessions. We were only thirteen, so we were a bit like, why do we always need to do this? Like we'll watch a football in the house. And then mm. it was only then you really started to develop an understanding of this is why we're doing this. shoot with things like fouls, practical phones. We're like, you can't really do that, and they're like, well, it's just when and where you do it. And then coming towards the end of the season, we were in playoff finals, or we we needed a draw for the league, or and then that's when people start understanding what Scott was talking about. Of oh yeah, we need to foul him here. Or, so, Limfield was a great, a great like a, uh, a great eye opener for the other side of the game. So it was.
0: I've talked to quite quite a few boys who are a good bit older than yourself, and like so one would be Nathan Hanley, so he's at the Crows. Uh, I think he's head of their youth development at the minute, and then the other one would be Stuart Elliott, and they would, they all came for like St Andrews. Yeah, and they would yeah. they would talk about the exact same thing. Like they were they had coaches coming over from Holland and all.
1: Yeah, that's class. That's that's the thing. That, that's a disadvantage that back home has, to over here. So we done, at under 18s here, when you're a scholar, you do like your coaching badges. Yeah. Everybody has to do it. And you take the younger teams. So I think I was taking the under 9s or under 10s. And the way these kids pass the ball was absolutely frightening. I mean, like you think Linfield's standard is good. These kids are phenomenal. And it's not just like I, I would go home and take other teams back home at that similar age. And they're all still at the stage where they all just run towards the ball, and they all just like running with the ball and just kicking it down the line. Everybody running for it. We're over here. It's like another fifteen team, you know where to be, you know who to pass it to, you know how to strike a ball properly. Their touch is phenomenal. So you're the only difference there is the coaching, yeah, full yeah. contact. Because over here they have that full time contact. They're still in a few times a week. At that young age, we're back home. You're not getting proper coaching until you're say thirteen, fourteen. Over here, you're getting off from your six or seven.
0: I think I think with a lot of the clubs in the Irish League going full-time now, the standard has to improve, especially
1: Definitely in heard, academies.
0: I heard Lawrence going,
1: or has an academy and all that as well, don't they?
0: Yeah, I've heard that they're, they're they're paying some of the, the younger guys who are coming in, maybe 17, 18 years old, that they're now on an academy contract.
1: Yeah, I heard that. I think it was actually Kofi talking to me about that. See, it's things I got the need back home. And even um, the Northern Ireland of hers full time now as well. Am I right in saying the academy?
0: I'm not too sure, but uh, it would be, be unreal if it is. Because I, I often find you hear so many sad stories in Northern Ireland about kids going over across the water, and it maybe hasn't quite worked for them, and then just drifting completely away from the game where they don't play at all. You maybe see them playing for some pub team.
1: Like yeah, I agree. But when I when I before I moved to England, so obviously when I got offers, um. My scholarship, I got offered here in Sheffield Wednesday. I was living in my own wee bubble for eight months of, oh, I'm actually going to England to play. During that time, you heard of other boys that was coming home. After being in England, you're going, what possesses these people to come home after the opportunity they've got? Like, like, what's wrong with them? There's nothing here. And it's only when you go over to England and you start living it over here you start seeing the other side of things of what really goes on over here, like being away from the, being away from parents, being away from family. The pressure of football, which people don't understand, and I'm one for myself, I think it's only football or doing something you love, but like you've seen it at the Euros, obviously on a massive scale that is, but one missed penalty and you see them amount of abuse young lads get. Yeah. So some people can't take it, some people just aren't built for that. And when I was younger, I didn't understand that, and some people back home don't understand that until they're over here living it. And it wasn't really until my third year here that I actually kicked in and settled in that I'm away from home. And this is like, this is my job. This is me now. My family's over there and I'm here. So I can understand why people do that. And sometimes the pressure over here just makes you fall out of love with the game. So finding somewhere back home to try and reignite the love is the hard part. But you will see a lot of them at some point will or they'll regret not doing it.
0: What you're saying there makes makes a lot of sense. I had uh, Connor Washington on the podcast and he was just talking about his career and he was talking about things that things that were going on and one of the reasons why he went off social media was just there was just too much talk on like the amount of people that were adding him after a game and it could either be really really positive or really really negative just depending on how the game went and he yeah. said it wasn't even the abuse it was the fact that he was getting it from like kids that were like 12 and 13
1: oh you'll get it from all corners all corners it's not see to be honest with you it's not me it, it takes it i'm i'm fine i laugh it off but see when you see my missus in here and she's mm-hmm. going she had on twitter and i make like, juan stop you can't say anything just leave it let it go she's trying to fill people in <laughs> <She's ready. laughs> i'm like yo just leave it it is what it is but uh, people again people don't understand that people just see like the positives they see on twitter or someone has a good game and everybody's like raving about him he's trending on twitter but then one mistake and it's the complete opposite And that's what you're getting remembered for.
0: Yeah. You
1: know what I mean? And another big thing over here is luck. And a lot of players just don't have the rub of the green. Like, for example, we come over here at 16, and I'm not alone in this. Most Northern Irish boys that come over the exact same. We come over, and our bodies are nowhere near developed. Where if you go to, if you come into the academy and you see the English boys coming into their scholarship, they're all properly developed, their mechanics are brilliant. Their body fats are perfect. Like they have that head starting us. So we're effectively six, seven years behind demons. Which I don't think helps. And the club say that themselves, that that's the issue that they have to try and tackle is starting that younger.
0: Yeah, it's 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 all money. Um from talking to a few people, it's it's the money that it takes to, you know, put someone over on a scholarship, putting them up over in a house. Yeah. Especially when they're when they're so young. Because I I don't know how true this is, but I think if you're like 12, 13, 14, 15, it's you have to go over with your parents. Uh, I don't know what. I don't know because I know
1: Reese um, McGinley, He's our age. He was a minor on the Ireland team. Um, and we played with each other right up. And I know he moved over to Liverpool quite young. Don't know what age exactly. I don't know if I was 13 or 14. But he moved over really, really young. Before he moved to Rotherham, and I'm nearly sure he was by himself. I don't get me wrong, I think he was coming back and forward, so maybe staying there for a week or two weeks and then coming back. But I'm nearly sure he was by himself, and I think that really affected him.
0: You're right about like the luckiness of it as well. I was talking to Andy, so he, he was over at like 12 years old, Man City. Would you know Andy?
1: No, I don't. I know off Andy, yeah, but I don't. I don't know him to speak to.
0: So his, his story's mad. So he was, he was like 12 years old and Man City came in for him. He was going for trials, like everywhere he was going in Aberdeen, going all over England, basically on trials. Man City came in for him at like 12. They brought him, I'm pretty sure they brought him and his family over to Manchester to live. Jesus. He was in the academy the whole way up until I think reserve level. They went to some, the, you know, like the, sheiks, the sheiks came in yeah, yeah. And then that's when they started bringing in, like, Aguero, Rubinio, started bringing in, yeah. like, all the superstars. And he talks about how, like, they went over to, like, some world championship that was over in, like, Dubai. And he talks about how they get on this, like, private jet. And the Sheiks had prepared for, like, every single player to have an Emirates girl waiting on them. Jesus. And they gave him, like, a, a wee bag. And in the wee bag, it was filled with, like, the the Shawatsky crystals that were worth, like, hundreds of pounds. Jeez. And like he, he wasn't used to any of this at all. This is just... Yeah, he was just, just come from the academy. He was told that he was going to get a new contract. And they say, like, we'll give you a new contract here. But we can't see you getting into the first team just because the pathway was completely blocked up. Yeah. So Rangers came in for him. Um, he knew he was signing for Rangers under-20s. And uh, he went down to like Ibrox to sign. It was announced on Sky Sports. He was met by, like, you know, like all the Rangers, like Faithful, they all met him at the ground. Yeah, yeah. Because they thought he was saying for the first team. Plays in the first team in, a, gets into to the under-20s, sorry. Playing for the under-20s. It's not quite happening for him. The reserve manager tells him that they're going to let him go at the end of the year, once his contract runs out. Yeah. He decides to come in earlier on his, on his days off, get some extra training in. And one of the first team coaches says to him, "Listen, we need a body. Do you fancy jumping in with us here?" Goes does really well in the first team training session. Uh, starts training with the first team squad regularly. Starts getting games for the first team. Uh, I think his first game was maybe against Motherwell, and then the next game after that he was on the bench against Celtic in the old yeah. firm. Rangers then, you know, when Rangers went through like administration and there was all the thing with the debt, and then they went into like Division Three.
1: Yeah, yeah, liquidation, didn't it?
0: Yeah, they drop down to Division 3 and uh, they get rid of a whole lot of their players just because of wages, etc. Andy plays, like, the whole season, really, for them. In his last seven games, he got five-man the matches. Jesus. Rangers then tell him that they go up into the second division and then they tell him, we're not going to keep you on here, we're going to bring in some more players who are, who have played in a the, in the higher league because we want to yeah. try and get promoted again. He's offered a contract by one of the Scottish league teams who were in division two at the time. And he thought he was too good in his own words to play at that level. He wanted to try and play higher. Yeah. So he held out. He held out, held out, held out. The, no offers came in for him. Uh, he then gets a phone call from that club who just replaced their manager. The manager says to him, listen, I, I want to bring in my own players. So I'm going to not offer that contract anymore oh no and then he was he didn't have a club to go to so his agent ended up getting him like like games down at, at the conference so he got a con he got a contract at one of the conference teams over in england and he describes it as just being the, the legs kick right off him
1: yeah, yeah and, so then,
0: and then he came home he came home after that to play for crusaders
1: yeah that's again that's just luck isn't it really it and changes number- so fast in a few situations there, he had obviously the Man City take over. You can't affect that. The, the administration at Rangers, you can't affect, if he's getting released at Rangers and they're SPL, he's not going to struggle, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just luck and situation, circumstances, killed him. So that's what I was trying to say about the boys that are coming from, like from back, from here to back home. Some boys are lower league teams, some boys are league two teams that are, haven't got the facilities, they haven't got the budget. They're not feeding them properly or their their accommodation's not great. So it's only when you're over here and you start seeing them, things that you really appreciate. Like some people really do get it harder and you can understand why they do go home. So obviously I'm at a championship club. I'm at a big club. Mm-hmm. So me growing up, I was always looked after. Any digs i went into, they always looked after me. We always had drivers bringing us to train and picking us up. I never had to do anything. Didn't have to cook, didn't have to clean, didn't do a thing until I moved out. So I had that side where some boys didn't from the really team. How did you find moving over? I loved them. I thrived on it. I waited my whole life. I worked my socks off my whole life. I sacrificed not just me, my family. That was my game. That was my game. Get to England. Just get there and stay there and see how it goes. So for months and months and months the build up of me coming over I was just I was so excited for it. And when I got there it was just the exact same for the full first I'd say two years. I didn't have a blip, like mentally. I didn't have a blip. I was flying. I just loved every bit of it. So we're playing football every day. What more could I have wanted? And then, uh, maybe the third year, we started picking up injuries. So I, I ruptured both my ankles, um, at different times in the season. So it was just it was then where I had like I wasn't training. My, my family was back home. My ministers was back home. All my friends were back home. It was at the stage where everybody was starting to go out every weekend. Social life. I didn't have anything over here. It was literally just me, my room, and PlayStation. So I, that was the stage where I started. Um, I started being my own worst enemy, and from then I kind of just changed my mindset a bit. Um, I spoke to the club. Obviously, people at the club were speaking to me, helping me with it, and um, they all just said the same thing: "It's it's me moving away from home. It's me not having a, a getaway from football. I, I don't have. I don't have like a." How do you describe it? I, don't have a, I didn't have a hobby where I could go home and just go, right, football's done. But I had a bad session. I was going home and I was analysing and, analysing and analysing it and analysing it and it was ruining the rest of my day or my weekend, if it was a bad game. And I was getting to the stage where they're going, that's not healthy, that's not, that's not good for you, that's not good for anybody. You'll start hating those things. So then I started discussing about like um other boys at the club speaking to me, like senior boys and going through their experiences and... It's only when you sit and listen to them that everybody has the same problems. Like boys that play in the Premier League, have played in the Premier League for years that were at Birmingham, all have the same problem. They're saying they're going into playing games and they're on like 60 pounds £80,000 a week leading up to a game. They've got that feeling in their stomach of pure and other nerves. And they're like, they're top of the game, they're top level and they still get the exact same. They're going up their head apparently, and they can't even see because of the nerves. They just can't do it. So it's only when you start hearing other people's stories and start being able to relate that you can kind of calm down and go, right, this
0: isn't just me, this is everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's, there's so much that, that you're saying there that I would like you to talk about. So when you're talking about before you're going over and your family's sacrificing and you're sacrificing and you're working really hard for any young kids who have maybe got the, the same ambition that, 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 you, that you have and you still have, what were you doing that, that separated you from the rest, the rest of everybody else?
1: Um, what I've said about us, everywhere I was playing for a team. I wasn't just playing for local teams. My whole whole time back home, so I was traveling the the length of the country to play. So it was my mum and daddy both worked full time jobs, had two other kids. So it was a case of I was they were coming home from work. Sometimes weren't even getting food or seeing each other, and they're straight out all night until ten. By the time one's coming back, the other one's in bed. And it was the same for me. Like at, at a weekend, I wouldn't have really got to go out and socialize. So you had everybody, all their mates, rolling the Saturday, Saturday night. I was always in bed because I had trained on a Sunday. So it was just little things I got. Or if I had a week off, I just would have went down to the park with my daddy, kicked the ball about, or myself. Not necessarily getting down and training and working on things. Just always had a ball. But mm-hmm. I had to face that side of socializing and living that life at that age that other people got to. You know what I mean?
0: And then you were talking about, so not having a hobby, is, is that something that's changed now where you've got something that outside of football you can sort of just focus your attention on? I have loads. I'm into the golf massively. Play golf like three
1: times a week and I'm doing a law degree. So Super, I'm mate. Working. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm just starting my fourth year. So I'm well and truly occupied now. My
0: missus is here, so don't even get a break. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's unreal getting a law degree that is absolutely fantastic
1: just finished my third year there so I'm getting into my fourth two more years so I do so I'm loving that was that
0: something that you were always planning on doing or is this a do
1: you know what always wanted to do well yeah law was but always wanted to do medicine so it was always between the two in school obviously leading up to me coming to England I have my GCSEs and I think I I got maybe the top of the school in my GCSE results Mm-hmm. So, um, I was kind of always a kid in the school. were kind of trying to coax me not to go. They were trying to tell me to stay and just continue my education because my results were that that high. But I'd always says that once I come to England and I got myself settled down, I would be I would be doing a degree um in, every, in either field. But to do mm-hmm. medicine, it was something stupid like sixteen years or something. So it was I was like, no, no chance. And law was always one thing that I loved. I was just really always interested by, um. And then a couple of years ago, I, I looked into it and sat down with the education officer at the club, and he just says, well, you can do it. It's, it's feasible. It's part-time. Why not? And then I've done it, and it's been brilliant for me.
0: Have you got a particular, like, I uh, said, interest in law, like, you know, like a specific subject, or is it just general? You know what? Not yet. I, I haven't
1: yet, but the, law, the more I'll go through, the more I'll kind of start trying to decide what area i want to work in at the minute i'm just getting with an open mind i'm just doing it all and seeing what what works better you know what i mean i'm actually i'm actually quite like in the contractual side of things which would benefit me with sport yeah uh, I'm, I'm quite enjoying that and the the criminal side obviously is interesting i've always i've always loved that but the more and more i go through i'm learning we things that i didn't even know existed so, the more open I'm open my mind to the other aspects of the law, the more I'm just saying, well, what's available because again, it's a no job, it's tough to get at the minute.
0: Yeah, there's so wow. many of them. Like, I think like a lot of the agents nowadays, like, they would all have degrees in law or something of that description.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of them have so a lot of working firms that will have all of them that will have a solicitor in their firm. So, whether it's them themselves with a law degree or their partners, one of them will have a law degree, so it, it always helps. You know what I mean, and that's that's their primary path. That's where they started. That was their career aim. So the fact that it would kind of be like my second career or just an option, even like would benefit me loads. Would you ever see yourself wanting to coach anything? Or that's, I was actually talking about that about this couple of weeks ago. If you had asked me this about two, three months ago, I probably would have said no i just love playing too much i don't think i could do it but when i was home i took a, a little Lisburn, i think it's Lisburn rangers team um my daddy's friends the we coached he asked me to come up and take a session with the boys and just seeing like i I'd, I'd done something simple if we've just done like head tennis and then we've done a wee game but like i said dude they're at the stage where everybody just crowds the ball you yeah. see just a simple thing i played a game where it says right if you score a goal you get one goal if you play five passes amongst you, you just get two goals so then you start seeing it open up a bit more and they're starting to pass just that wee bit of, geez, these boys are actually listening and you can see them, like they're actually able to do it. And that was probably the first time where I actually said to my dad, do you know what? Like, I would probably enjoy doing that. Because obviously I'm only 21, I haven't played the game long. I'm still really, really young in early stages, but I know quite a lot about the game just from being over here. So even bringing that to that level back home and then picking it up, it was satisfying.
0: It's one of those ones, it's, it's, it's crazy because this is the, the thing that's been the massive revelation for me from doing the podcast is I thought I knew football like from watching it on TV like I would be like an armchair supporter I was saying like should have played that pass should have done that and then seeing you start talking to people who are actually involved in football you realize like I know very little
1: oh yeah
0: honestly and so do we everybody like until
1: you're until you've completed football until you're at that top top bracket then you can start talking about football and talking about what you really think and why this doesn't work and why he should be doing that. And see, when you're here, like even me growing up watching Birmingham as a scholar and you're going, I could do that or he could do that. Any of us could get on there and do it. And then you get onto it and you see all the other factors that no one else understands. See, just even like we we're talking about the social media aspect, people, players are getting into the game going, Jesus, if I have a stinker. Social media is going to rip me after. And you can hear it. You can hear people talking about that. Yeah. Or you're going to the stadium. Just say he's run a bad run. He's have lost six or seven. You're going out to the stadium, and the fans aren't even singing. You're just—you can feel that the tension in the air, and all you can hear is the away fans. So just—just just little things like that, like people being at home, and it's not their fault. They'll just not understand it, and they'll not realize the impact that that actually has on the players.
0: Yeah, I—I couldn't—I couldn't agree more. It—it is—it is awful because on one hand you've got social media, which is fantastic for players, because on one hand you can make a, a lot of money on it from advertisements or whatever as soon as you increase your social oh, media yeah. following but the other the other side of it is it can be an incredibly better place
1: oh yeah 100% it's only getting worse too it really really is getting worse and it does need to be something needs done to regulate it like um the Jude was actually talking about that on the social media platform Jude, um played at birmingham with us the last few yeah. years and then went to dortmund and he was I seen him writing on social media about it as well, the abuse he's getting after some games. Whether it was for Dortmund from Dortmund fans or away fans or England fans. And he was only seventeen. You're going to seventeen year old's getting abused like that on social media. Like, surely something has to be done.
0: Yeah. It's it's very, very hard to police. And this is really what it what it boils down to is it's very hard to police because most of the people who you're getting negative comments from they're faceless. Yeah, they don't have an identity, and then there's nothing to, to verify. Yeah, you know, like there's they haven't had to register with like a passport or a driving license. You know that, that someone could be using a VPN and reading that from anywhere. Oh, yeah, of course, hundred percent. And this is the thing
1: that people don't, and people are trying to have the argument: if you need to regulate, but then the other side of the coin is, if you regulate it, you haven't got that freedom of speech anymore. People are going to be worried about writing what they actually feel because they know. Um, and I don't mean abuse, I mean just anything. To be afraid to write anything in case people are able to just go, well, that was him and he said this. And then it starts coming back on them. And then that's when you start realizing social media
0: not being as effective as
1: as it is positively.
0: I'm sure you're the same. Like in any sort of job that's in the public eye, like I said before, I work in the NHS. Like, so we would have a social media policy. Yeah. You know, so it's very much regulated of what we can say and do on social media if it reflects badly. I'm sure you do exactly the same with, with Birmingham. Of course, on
1: the on the organisation or on yourself, you have to be you have to be on your game all the time. You can't really write anything or share anything that you shouldn't be even liking anything because if you go and live you're a Birmingham player and you go and like someone's photo, you shouldn't be like what it's a rival team or stupid as it sounds. It's always picked up on. And it's not, obviously it's not wrong. It could be one of your friends but the Birmingham fans will see it and then the next thing you know it's on Twitter
0: and people are retweeting it, and you know, just stupid things like that. That's something they wouldn't even have followed. That's pretty marvellous when you say it out loud, like isn't
1: it? Yeah, I know. It is crazy Like, see some of the things you see people like <laughs> tweeting that you don't even follow, and it's just coming up. And they're going, like, a certain player has liked this of another team. He's going there, and then the next thing you know, it's just a big, I don't know, everybody's just started to come, waving it, weighing in on this. Um conversations and yeah, no yeah he's definitely going and then they're going through his followers and I guess mentally just like something I said he's trying to force his way out <laughs> yeah this photo has 79 likes so he's going to this team because they're made in 1879 you know, just think like that what
0: <laughs> ah craziness honestly not so talk to me about your so I think you played one game there for Glen Thorn first time it was 16
1: yeah 16 I think I was the youngest ever at that stage yeah, I was the at that stage, and I think there was a few boys. Ethan Mornock broke it, I think Charlie Lindsay broke it maybe a couple of years later. But yeah, um, my cousin was playing at the time as well for them, so it was nice to make my debut at that age playing with him. He was playing for Glenn Thorne as well. Um, Connor McManaman
0: was Connor your cousin,
1: yeah. His I had Connor was...
0: on the podcast, he's a lovely fella.
1: yeah. His mum's my godmother,
0: he, he's, he's a real nice fella, he's a lovely fella. I'm oh, maniac. <laughs> and then uh, quiet. He's banging them in. He's doing very, very well. Yeah, doing good. But he—he was—he was talking about going over at Lenfield and all, and he's—he's—he's he's, he's been through a few good few times as well.
1: Oh, I mean, everybody has. That's not until you sit down with them and you go through, and some people think their problems aren't as big as others. And that's the issue. Some people think that oh, it's been everybody's playing sailing or he's broken down at a certain age, so his career's been playing sailing. It's never, ever the case. Never. Yeah. If that was the case everyone would do it.
0: I was talking to Leo, Leo Brown, and he had a hard-out run. What a guy. What a yeah. guy. Love a I fella. yeah. I don't know how he
1: stuck it out. I really don't. And that's probably the only case I could ever... Hundred percent get behind and say if that was me, I probably would have been home. Because yeah. everything but like anything possible that could have went wrong went wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. And I don't. He, sorry, go ahead. I don't know if he's. He was. He was talking to me now. This is going a few months ago. He was talking about going to another team across the water, but I don't know if that's if that's materialized. And I haven't heard anything.
1: He's going to. Um, he's coming back to live in Birmingham and play for an on league team. So he is. S- I super. think it's the end of August. But it's just a pity because obviously when he came over to England, Leo was never the most technical. Leo never wasn't the one in the team with the best touch. Leo wasn't going to be at six men or play a wonder pass. Leo was just brute force and could strike a ball. And as he came to England, he started developing everything else. So every time he kept getting a run of games, banging them in, his touch was getting better. He was using his strength. He was was rapid. He was class in the air. Then he was getting an injury. And he was starting back to step one. But when he was playing, he was developing really, really well. Everybody could see it. And then he just kept getting hit with injuries, and he was getting an injury, and then while he was injured, he was getting another injury. Like Jesus, when's that going to stop? Yeah. And it wasn't for the want to train. Like he worked his socks off, like in the gym. Like he wasn't one of these boys that just was lazy through his rehab, or like he was. He was on it. He was eating right. He was. He was doing everything. His mindset was right. He was just a lovely person, speaking to everybody. Um, wasn't been ignorant to any anybody. Any of the staff asked anything from him, he'd done it. But it just didn't work.
0: I seen, uh, I think the craziest video I've seen of Leo is when he went over to the milk cup, and I think he's like 13 14, and oh, he I is think. just enormous. That
1: was when he was younger, as well, wasn't it? That was like, he yeah, was than the rest of the team.
0: And <laughs> <He loved it. laughs> oh,
1: that's crazy. His left foot was like a rocket, too. Uh-huh. I, I, I got at that third time, he was just. The unit that everybody didn't want to play against because you were afraid they even go near him because nobody was developed and he was a man. So You were coming near him and he was just flicking you. But Leo, if you know Leo, Leo doesn't have a bat bone in his body. Like he, wouldn't, he wouldn't flip out. He wouldn't go and try and start something on someone. He's the complete opposite. So the fact that he had that says, and if you heard Leo speaking or if you knew Leo, you'd be like, "There's no way that's him playing."
0: Yeah, my brother would speak so
1: highly of Leo. He'd speak very, very highly of him. Yeah, Honestly, he's he's what a guy. He's brilliant. Really, really good. I felt so sorry for him when he's home, but he's hopping now. Being yeah, home and he's got he got plans to come back over. And he was doing a degree when he was over here as well. So it wasn't like he was just he was stuck for just one thing. He was he was he had it in his head what he wanted to do, and I think he he still wants to do football. I don't know what level he wants to play at, but if he sticks to it and he gets his injury sorted, maybe he'd be flying.
0: Well, you know, the conference is, is a great place to great place to get noticed. I mean you can do well there. You can you can keep going up. Like I'm I'm pretty sure Connor Washington, like he was playing step ten in English football and then he was just playing for his friends.
1: Oh wow, well, and then people start spotting you in the in the park or wherever it is you're playing over here spicy. I lived with a scout for a couple of years, Carl. He's really, really close friend with me. And he his job is looking after the younger players. Yeah. And you just see and I used to just sit and look at all the scouts that he had working for them and where they were working and at what times and and it was actually mental because when you're back home and you're playing the game in the national league, you'd be like, Oh shit, there's such and such scout there today. We're over here. Every game has six, seven, eight scouts at them, and that's from under nine right up.
0: I would love to see the Irish League improve even more because I think it's a, it's it's a fantastic thing for when people come back home from England, it's another pathway into the game. You're closer to your family, and it gives you another chance to get across over the water.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: I think this Europa Conference League is going to be good for it as well.
1: You know. Yeah. More teams than in Europe.
0: It'll be it'll be fantastic. I was um, so I'd be married, and Abby's daddy would be a massive Crusaders fan. Yeah, I would never really follow Irish League football at all. Just because Adam was bouncing, mainly he was bouncing around so many youth teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he we went to, the went to the cruise game and he got tickets for uh, New Crusaders versus Wolves. Oh, why, over here at home. Um, uh, at home, at home.
1: I came. I went to watch the one at Molyneux over here because obviously Ronan was playing his brother Rory. Uh huh. So I went to watch over here, and I tell you what, the, the Crusaders fans were unreal at it. They they leaving leaving the stadium. The Wolves fans clapped them at high good their atmosphere was.
0: They did they did really well. They, they did really well. They did them very well. It was just seeing the, the wee things that that the Wolves were doing, like the, the wee bits of gamemanship and stuff, and they were very very good now on the ball as well. Ah, oh, they were frightening. That John Moutinho was playing,
1: Neves was playing, Diego Jara was playing, Jota was playing. They were the work fast like Domitri that's the difference over here. Like the fans, here like me moving over, I was like every week I'm going to be watching something it's like championship football. Yeah. Over here, they for granted because obviously it's their local teams. Where if you're back home and you say to someone, "Jesus, you can watch the Premier League here every week if you want," they'd be like, "What, really?" That's the difference over, over back home. I'm not being disrespectful to the, the Irish League; it's getting better every year. But it's not the Premier League. Do you know what I mean? Over here, they're just spoiled by having that standard every week, and then. Where you go, they come over here and whatever it is, Europa League, and you've got Wolves playing in Northern Ireland and everybody's like, wow, the guy is frightening. It would be class to get to the stage in Northern Ireland where people are like are used to a really, really good standard every week. Do you know what I mean?
0: You, you can notice you can notice that there's so many there's so many people at your age who are playing in the championship, who are playing in League One, who are playing in the Premier League. You know, what's there's starting to be a lot more a lot more kids coming for you. Oh, yeah.
1: And a lot more of them are breaking in until they're older as well. Like these days, it's not very often you'll see a player breaking in until they may be 22, 23. And it's really, really establishing themselves. And it's only really as I've got older that I've noticed that. Because when I was coming over, I was thinking, right, if I'm not playing the first team by I'm 18, a field. And the coaches are like, what are you on about? Like, when do you when do you really ever see players breaking in, really establishing themselves at a young age at big clubs? Apart from obviously your freaks like Jude who's broke in and established himself and was gone in a year it doesn't happen very often and people back home like people that were over here and went back home are thinking right I'm 19 I still haven't broken. in what's the point of me being here where the further on it gets people's careers are getting longer so players are playing till older ages now because everything else is better that they're not breaking in longer until or sorry, until they are a bit older which I think helps and a big part of that is the loans how, how good loans people are getting yeah and a lot of boys are back home for loans, which I've noticed. Um, yeah, I've
0: yeah. It's going to the aircom. Yeah, I've, I've seen that as well. The, the mm-hmm. other massive thing is, like you said earlier, is you know, you're know you going over to England and you're going from a part-time setup over here. What's well, it's not even really part-time. You're going two nights a week, three nights a yeah. week, like whatever it is. And, and, and then boys have been grinding it out, gym work, everything. And they're going to be a lot more developed. Now, I, I was talking to Stuart Elliott about this, and he said, like the biggest thing from going across the water was fitness. I was it. The biggest thing was fitness. Hundred percent,
1: hundred percent. And that was the thing I always struggled with when I was younger. I was a wee chubby, wee chubby kids so, always. So my my issue was always going to be mobility. Going to England, I could feel that. I got up to speed quite quick, but I could really, really feel it. And it was—it's not necessarily your fitness and sense of. Um, your heart, like you're feeling like really tired or it was more just my body getting used to it, like how I moved. So, for example, my groins were absolutely aching for my first year. Like, I mean, I had so much issues with them and that was purely because I didn't know how to run properly. Like I didn't know how to use my, my bum. I didn't know how to use my glutes to run or use my quads. So I was using the wrong muscles. You know what I mean? When we were younger, we were never taught that we were never taught if you need to run like this, or when you're lifting, you need to use this muscle instead of this muscle. We're over here. Everybody knows that. That's granted. I guess taken for granted because from their nine or ten, they're taught movement patterns. I get taught that when I was 20 and 21. Do you know what I mean? That's the difference. And that was for me, that's the hardest part of coming over. When when like I wouldn't have even thought that was a thing, to be honest. And to honestly, mate, near the die. And then I just obviously had a bad injury there that I just come back from. I ruptured my Rackfam, my quad in November. I was away with Northern Ireland. I'd actually just played in um the championship we played, Bournemouth. And I played ninety minutes in that game at St Andrews and then went to Ukraine with the twenty ones. And then literally two days after Ukraine, crossed the ball, was fine, didn't have an issue, wasn't tight, nothing. Just crossed the ball, my quad popped. It's like, oh no. So I was out for five months with that. But that was the first time in my life I've literally the the physios just went right We're just rubbing you out and redrawing you so they got me into like the best condition i've ever been in i was running properly i was lifting properly my body fat was good i was just fit i was fast and i was like this is the first this is what it's supposed to feel like this is how i'm supposed to feel and that was when i was just turned 21 do you know what i mean where boys are feeling like that when they're 11 and 12.
0: so what are you doing definitely when when you're running like what does running properly look like? It's not even, do you know what? But and this is a thing, see back home, there's a lot of coaches that know
1: how to do this. And like, see, Gaz that taught Gaz that was at Northern Ireland with us, um, our strength and conditioning coach when we were at Club NI, he knew how to do all this, but he just didn't have the time to do it with us because obviously we only we were in the air twice a week, you need more than that. So he knew everything, he was trying to show us all this is how you do it, but us being young, we obviously didn't grasp at, it at a young age because all we wanted to do was play football. And we only we don't are doing that maybe once a month or twice a month with him because he had to do so much other things with us in that time. But now there's there's other coaches. Like when I was home, I was with Kieran Flynn. Um, he's a sports scientist. He's a strength and conditioning coach in West Belfast. And he's absolutely brilliant with all that. And a lot of his training is based around that. So he's showing you how to, like, how to, what your hip placement should be, what your knee placement should be, how you should start sprinting, like, it's only when you're with people that really know how to do it that you really appreciate how hard it is. It's easy If you were to watch me doing it now, you're going, that's a piece of piss. That's easy. But then when you get asked to do it, and you're asked to like push the line away from you when you're running or jump properly and land properly, you're like, what, that's actually hard? But back home, you have people that can do it. You have people that know, and he's one of them. He's brilliant at it. And he's now out of his own time. He's taken the younger Linfield teams in. Or Glenn Torn teams like nines, tens, elevens, and doing their own sessions with them, and he's trying to help them develop younger. Which you're going to start seeing a lot of in the in the coming years, especially with teams going full time, and watching and see the amount of people that then go to England and stay over there just from doing that.
0: Yeah, it's that's crazy. It, it's it's one of those things that like, I've uh, started talking. Like you can talk to personal trainers, and then you realize like when you start talking to personal trainers, then there's a level above that, which is like your strength and conditioning coaches. Oh, why? It's like, people are thinking like, if you're a strength and conditioning coach, you're just going to go in and do
1: bench press, a few chins, a few squats, then you go home. Do you know what I mean? There's so yeah. much more to it. Like, there's so much more to it. That, and that's probably a big issue with Leo as well. Leo was the same as me. Leo went over and didn't know how to run properly. I mean, I mean run properly, but didn't look like Gemp's running. Like, we we're running normal, but we weren't using the right muscles. If you know what I mean? And that was a big part of his injuries. Why he kept getting them injuries and why he couldn't recover from them properly because we didn't know how to. We we didn't know what it meant. People are saying, you just aren't run, running properly. And I'm like, hi, I'm getting from A to B. But Yeah. Kids, we didn't know. We didn't know any different. We're over there. The boys were just like, oh, well, this is just the way we've always been. And they didn't have as much injuries and they didn't have like muscle problems the way we did. But at the same time, the talent back home, is just as good as what's over here. If the fact that they're still bringing players from Ireland, they replace the English players that's over here, and they're they like we're a mess. We're coming over like other messes, and yet we're still fitting in over here. You know what I mean? So yeah. that that just shows that back home the standard is it is good enough. Like the talent's frightening. y you,
0: definitely. You're starting to notice a lot more people coming over. See anybody that you talk to like over Friday who is done anything for Northern Ireland or they've played for Northern Ireland. Most of them have all came from St. Andrews. Yeah. All, yeah, all, all came from that academy and it was just from one really good coach bringing in other really good coaches. Oh, why? Of course. That's all it is. That's all
1: you need to see Someone that can just put on you what they know and really, really take a good interest in it. Then you're laughing. Honestly, you are laughing. And like I said, they, they know the game. They've played the game. And... Them bringing their own values of this is how you should play football. Like If we're playing back home at a younger age, there's no philosophy. You just play and you just hope you win. And there's nothing wrong with that because sometimes that's people. That's all people know. But when you come over here or when you're at teams like that, like you're saying, they'll show you how to play football properly. Like You know your basics. You know how to pass the ball. You know how to receive a ball. But you don't know how to actually play the game or what your aim is. You know what I mean? What the, what the overall goal is, is how do you get from A to B? It's not always just about lumping the ball in behind. Do you know what I mean? That they learn about how how you tire other teams out, how you just keep the ball, so that you're not tearing yourself out. And I, I learned all that at Glenfield as well. So, like you're saying, then boys over thirty that was at teams like that, you can always kind of tell who's been together or not. Like you'll know who the good the good coaches are because you always get little grabs, like little crops of players from certain teams, always stand together throughout their career, and even playing for Northern Ireland, they've probably been together the whole way through.
0: When you were at at Linfield and then you went to Horn, was there a lot of people your age who were playing the same team as you that, that went across as well at the same time? Um, at Linfield, sorry, at Linfield
1: and Glenburn. Um, yeah, to be fair, uh, there was quite a lot of people that went over at my age group. Um, at Linfield, you had Jack Chambers who went across to West Brom. Um, then you had who else did you have? Ethan, we went across to United. Then a Glen Thorn, Josh Tippen went to um, Chesterfield. So we had quite a lot of players that did go over, and that was just in the teams that I played with, like in the Glenfield and, and Glen Torn teams. But at Northern Ireland itself, like out of our, our um under-16 team at the time, because we were kind of victory shield age, like 80% of the squad was all moving to England. Do you know what I mean? So it was, and that yeah. was a distinct, that was just coming in the time where more and more people were coming over. Because two, three years ago, like before that, there wasn't that many. So that was really the first, like the first time that that many players were moving across from Northern Ireland. And that was just after Club and I was set up. So you could really start seeing the benefits of that training a bit more. Because other clubs are starting to notice it in England.
0: On a completely different note, I keep seeing like Ethan pop up on me Instagram, like, uh, I think he got his tattoo done by Willie J over here. I think so. I I think it was. You know, he done all his. Yeah, he seems. He seems. Willie J's been doing like he's been doing a lot of boys over in England.
1: Uh, I I get mine done in Birmingham. I'm still getting mine done. I've been I've done about 24 hours in a sleeve and still nowhere near done. Doing my head
0: on. See, I've only, I've only started. I'm um, I'm going to go half sleeve.
1: Are you going half sleeve? I've got my bottom half done. I just need to get the the top half shaded and stuff. But I've got really complicated ones. What Didn't really Get it word. It's it's like um Renaissance art, okay. like Michelangelo, right up my arm. Uh huh. So I was getting in, like thinking, Jesus, I'll have this done like twelve hours, and i was taking eight hours for like half a tattoo. And you're like, what? What have I picked? Like, mommy. boys are you coming into training after a day sitting with a false sleeve? And I'm going, who are you seeing? <laughs> <laughs> God, nightmare. But I, has been, Ethan's been getting tattoos with him from years ago he was the first boy in our team with one I think
0: yeah I went to see so his he brought on an apprentice called car car would be great as well um car's obviously not an apprentice anyway she's going back a few years ago so I would get mine done by car okay. and I got uh like roses on my arm and then I got my wife's name and then my sister's name but see the roses they took ages I think I was I got two roses on my arm and they're like like realism, like black and white. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think I was, you're talking probably like seven, eight hours,
1: maybe? Yeah, 100%. It's a long set. Like, did you get it all at once?
0: So they only tattoo you in, in five-hour slots. They won't tattoo you any longer than that. Really? Yeah, they only, they only do, they won't tattoo over the five hours as soon as you get to the five hours, that's then them. Don't know why that is, but that's just the way they do it. I think so, I think my seven here. I set the five and it was fine. It wasn't wasn't sore at all, bar my wrist was a wee bit that And then yeah. I got, I went back again to get the roses finished and I asked for another tattoo, which was just writing on my wrist. It was like a Bible verse. But yeah. uh, it was the worst one. See the small writing one? Oh. Awful.
1: I've heard that, you know, to be fair, my, my worst one was ones further up my arm, like towards my bicep. There's like the sensitive skin. That'll mm-hmm. be of the wrist. And It was like after six hours and you start know what it feels like it feels like you ever get sunburn and you start scratching it like itch like on your sunburn that's the only way i can describe it it's like someone's just constantly rubbing sunburn
0: yeah it's it's a bit nappy, like it is a bit nappy. i ain't going back again here next month to get the rest of it finished so i'm going to get like a i haven't really decided i want either a lion or a tiger like on the other side of my arm?
1: Have one you got the time. other side
0: of your arm tattooed? Like the other side of your forearm? Yeah,
1: I have both mine done. I have the whole way around. How'd you find that? Fine. That was the easiest part probably. I didn't say
0: one. So are you talking so I'm talking about like the the outside of the forearm?
1: Uh, mate, I got the whole the whole way around my arm, like my the bottom of my bottom half of my arm is done, and I didn't have one issue with it apart from up near my elbow. But I can imagine that being that way. That was the only part, but it wasn't like it wasn't really really short, it was just you could feel it different than the rest. But other than that, it was fine. It was the further up my arm, the top half, it was starting to get a bit a bit nippy. And then you booked in again. I was booked in last week and I had to go into isolation, could have cried my eyes out. <laughs> Sorry would, to god would the boy you see have like a long win list? Uh, he's um, he's Romanian, so I think he does most of his stuff in Romania and then just comes back down again. He gets a chance, uh-huh. I do his specialities, the realism, black and white, Renaissance art. So,
0: yeah, I'll have a way like, got Have you got a picture up on, on your Instagram? Aye, come on,
1: I'll see if I do. I don't know if I had it done last time. Last time I was getting a tattoo, I was getting abused by everyone for it. I'll just stop putting <laughs> it up. Um, but I hopefully by the end of the month, um, I'll get it. Cause i'm trying to get out and loan this season i want to i want to get a season on loan six months on loan so i'm trying to get that sorted at the minute which is a bit of a nightmare because i don't know where i'm going to be so i'm trying to get this tattoo all done before i have to move anywhere
0: yeah that's been a bit of a
1: nightmare
0: worst case it. scenario i take it you want to
1: stay within the the uk oh i definitely 100 percent you're you're only uh,
0: playing yeah, right away spl yeah, That wouldn't be bad, yeah. Is thats is that, that what you're thinking?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's the areas that I've spoke to, really. So we'll give it a couple of weeks, and then I'll just see what... Um, that looks sick. Like. I mean,
0: there's a wide lot of detail in that.
1: Cracker in that? Yeah,
0: it's a wide lot
1: of detail. You can even see. I, think I, got... I'll see that one. I don't know what the restaurants are. Yeah, they've got that much stuff on my camera. I can't even see them
0: anywhere. <laughs> I was... I was freaking out with my last uh tattoo like a part of it was like a wee bit overworked oh like when he was
1: doing it he was going over too much
0: like i i do not know so it was like my first ever it was my first ever tattoo and then i came i came home left it a few days and then i went the night shift and like my wrap came off and my skin was like bright red like roaring red
1: oh man, that's what we're seeing. you're sleeping on it as well jesus I know what you mean, but you start panicking. You think you're going to start like scabbing, and it's going to start. I thought mine was going to fall off, like rub off.
0: Yeah, oh yeah.
1: Because I had that much redness, and I was like, "Oh, this thing's going to run off here." You get hooked wild easy. You do, don't you? Because it's a, it's one of them things where you're like, fifth fifth sixth fire. You're like, "Oh Jesus, this is this is nightmare now." It's starting to get really sore. The weights are the worst part, and then like the next day, and when it starts to calm down, you're like, "Right, when's the next one?"
0: yeah that's to be fair like i i love one like that's i don't know turn the sound down here here i got one the one on on your forearm that's cool
1: that's some sense that's the both sides that i've got done and that was completely fine so you'll be all right down
0: there i actually don't have any pictures of mine so it was uh (laughs) yeah take any yours. (laughs) The first I thing think... I had, <laughs> I was when they got finished.
1: Oh, wow, it's a cracker. Shave our arm, you Jesus. Getting tattoos like out there. You need to have it shaved. Get the detail out. <laughs> I
0: know, I really need to.
1: Do. Get it booked in. I want to see the rest of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've got a booked in here for I think the 29th of oh, next
1: July. Next month, next month. Oh, 20th August.
0: Yeah. <laughs> about there. What do you say, mate?
1: I was gonna say twenty of July, you're not messing about there,
0: less than two weeks. I've had a book in for a while. I tried to book in with him in June and it was like three months waiting time. And then if you wanted to go see Willie G, you were talking like eight, nine months. Uh, I thought
1: that. I thought his waiting list was a bit longer. I'll
0: let you go on the last couple of questions i have for you because I know you've got you've got training here soon. Yes, yes. So what about your debut for I think your you're first coming off the bench, you came on for Jude. Am I right in saying that?
1: Yeah, Portsmouth.
0: So what was that experience like?
1: That was mental. That was surreal. It was the first time I was involved in a squad as well. So I was kind of thinking I was going away with a squad just to be a part of it and just get the feel for the, the, the fans. And it was the first time like I was running down the touchline and I was getting abused by fans. And <laughs> it was class. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. And then when I was actually coming on, and like, like Jude, come off for me coming on. You just run onto the pitch, and the noise—like, you couldn't have had a better place for a debut because Fratton Park was absolutely bouncing. It was like full capacity, and the noise from both fans was unreal. It was the first time I ever felt anything like that. You can't even think for the first couple of seconds because it's that loud. And you're yeah. like, I you need to just settle down here and get into it. And then once you start playing, and like you don't even get tired because of the adrenaline of listening to the fans. Like, you're just interested in that moment. You're like, this is what I actually. This is what this is what I actually played for. It's the whole point of me wanting to come over to England defeatless. Yeah. And it just it just got better because then I made my debut. <laughs> or sorry, then I played against the F um Car- or Coventry, sorry, in the FA Cup at St Andrews. And the same thing happened. One of the boys got injured. So I basically played the full game. And it was the same. It was just adrenaline the whole game. Because you could you could hear the noise from both the fans. It was like a derby as well. And then the championship game the one on Sky Sports. That was the three games I played in front of the fans. And every game, it just got better. Like, that feeling just got even bigger.
0: What was that like? Did you sort of feel after you made your debut that, like, all the sacrifice, everything that your parents had done was all sort of worth it? Like, you could sort of say, right, this is all starting to come together for me here.
1: Yeah. Honestly, that was the first time you actually sit back and go, wow, that was class. Like, I, I didn't even until about four in the morning them nights. Yeah, sure. Like, the buzz, you just you're just that awake that you just can't sleep. I was, I was in bed for like half 12, one, and I just couldn't sleep. And my daddy's ringing me and all you know, going, I can't sleep. Can you sleep? And it's
0: like, no, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's unreal. got like, uh, the one that's uh, class, that's the one thing I'm so happy see from Northern Ireland when anyone is doing well. That's brilliant. Like, so happy. Like, there's so many good boxers, footballers, rugby players, and there's so many people over here that are doing incredibly well.
1: Oh, I mean, and more and more people, more and more people starting to be successful, and they're starting to, to follow them paths and actually doing well in them. Especially in sport.
0: Yeah, it's, it's unreal. So I'll ask you this here. So I'll finish off with a free question for a real easy one. So, what's your best memory in football so far?
1: Best memory. Yeah, probably coming on at Portsmouth. Definitely. Well, in that sense, the feeling. Is definitely the best memory. Other than that, it would probably be um, playing at Stanford Bridge in the Youth Cup. Mm-hmm. That was we were in the semi final of the FA Youth Cup. We were playing against like Billy Gilmore, Reece James, Calm Hudson Odoi. So you're we playing against all boys. They're all playing Premier League football now, and even there, it was like I don't know six, seven thousand fans at it for an under eighteen game, and we a we we're not used to that, and it was just surreal playing against teams like that that were just popping the ball. Like you're kind of used that in the the international stage playing against like Spains and France, but you're actually playing against boys in England. Where you're at the top top level and
0: yeah. you could
1: see they're they're playing Premier League now. You could see how good they were. So at that age for us playing at Stanford Bridge and all I was a bit like wow this is phenomenal.
0: That's that plenty more to come.
1: Hopefully hopefully
0: so then we've got best player you've played with and then the best player you've played against? Um, yeah, Jude has to
1: be the best player I've played with. He was, he was phenomenal. Like from no age. He was coming up to the first team at like 15, 16 and taking absolute piss out of players. <laughs> like he was coming up and centre-backs who were playing every week in the championship for the last 10 years and he's coming up and just making them for fun. Like making them sit down at 16 years of age and you're just like, yes, yeah, kid's special. And he he just had he just had it all. He had the he had the charm. He had the the brain for it. He had the head. He knew like how grounded he was. He knew how to speak. He knew when to speak. Just everything. He he, he could just tell he had it. And even at that age, like, he was only sixteen when he went over to Dortmund. Yeah. and he well, he was ready. He was special. <laughs> he was special. He's still is special. He's only getting better too. He's playing of euros at that age and a team like that. Yep. Right then frightening he's got the size for it as well I, we actually actually seen him just at the training grid and I was like Jesus I didn't even notice you he's like 6 foot C now properly yeah, like, as well big boy awesome. big I don't know best player I've played against that's a tough one that that's a very tough one John, to give you Leos go who's Leos Leos is Holland Alright. Maybe not that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe Sancho or Foden. Yeah, that's, that's good names as well. Like. <laughs> I don't know, you know, because I played against um, Billy Gilmore a few times. I played against him when he was at Rangers. I played against him at Chelsea. And because I'm a sentiment fielder, I can appreciate it. Like, the kid yeah. was good. Like, he was, he was frightening. In both games, he was really, really good. And then you had... Like, Sancho and Fulham were playing, I think it was England I played against them. <laughs> they were a different class. They were just taking the piss out of players.
0: <coughs> Sorry. So, so, would you say Billy Gilmore's going you your hardest game then?
1: Um, I, don't, I don't know, you know, because obviously you're playing against um, the boys. Like, on in the international stage, you're playing against boys in France who are on the, the bench for PSG or. Captain of Marseille's twenty ones. I don't even know their names, but at that time there were like I couldn't get near them. Yeah. So it, it, it's different now because obviously I'm a bit better level myself and fitter. So I, I give it a bit more of a game. But if I was playing against Billy when he was playing at that age and I was at this age, I probably wouldn't get near him. In fact, I still wouldn't get near him. But yeah, I'd probably say him and in, in, in my in my position. Other than that, it would be, probably be Phil Foden Trying to mark him, he was like a ghost. I'm sure. Like absolute ghost. Or Trent,
0: I this is going back like when the milk cup came over here and it was like a Corinthians. Oh, I yes, came over and I remember the bro was a kid and he was called like Fabrizio Oya. And I think oh, I th- I remember
1: him, number 10,
0: uh huh. But he I had, remember. He had a buyout clause of 15 million at that competition.
1: I, I thought that I remember there. I remember him playing because he that was the year. Um, before I played on it, and I remember everybody talking about him. He was
0: phenomenal. It was craziness. So my my brother, he was playing at like he was playing at balamina, and the play like balamina's older age group at the same age, and absolutely hammered them. Oh, I yes, That's and right. then it was like all the kids were like on Adidas and Nike deals, like from Brazil. So like yeah. they were taking their boots off and giving their boots to all the kids from Northern Ireland.
1: I know, and they're like, Jesus, what this he's giving me a pair of boots? What? My mummy doesn't have to call me night.
0: <laughs> Yeah, what's he at night, actually? I think he's still playing for Corinthians. I haven't. I'm
1: actually, I can remember you. I remember his name. Everybody talking about him back then. Like, there's a few other boys that were in my school. Played against him in that tournament. At the I, time.
0: Like Ricky Gallagher and stuff. I'm pretty sure he's still playing. Playing for Corinthians, to be honest. I can't find his name anyway.
1: But I played against some... Some special boys like you could just keep it was one of the ones your team was just parking a bus and just hoping for the best. In fact, Hovart was probably one of the top ones as well. We played against them for Germany, he uh, we could beat 7 1, I think it was, but we were 1 0 up. Um, and then we were like drawing one each until the 60th minute. We were actually thinking, do you know what, like we, we could do well here, we could get a point out of yes. and then they scored like five goals in like six
0: minutes. They were just they were different level. Do you think it comes back to what you're saying? Like, yous are going over at 16, 17 over to England, and then that's when yous are learning how to run and, and do all these sort of things. But the kids from Germany, the kids from England, France, they'll be doing that from no age. Oh, from there They're from, from
1: there out of the womb. They're just getting taught all these things. But again, you have to look at it as well. Like We're from Northern Ireland. The pool of players are smaller. Yeah. Then if you go to like a Germany or if you go to Spain or France, like that production line's been coming for years. Like Northern Ireland is only really not only starting. to obviously you've had legends coming through, but I mean consistent is only really starting to come through now. Of players going across, we're back we're in them countries. It's it's from time started. They're just producing like more and more. So that, that obviously has an impact. But yeah, you're right. That mechanic ways and and how they know how to play a game from a young age, proper
0: like really really does help them. Does, do you do you know any of the the under twenty one's fixtures coming up then for Northern Ireland? Um, I think we've got Malta first game September. Is that at Windsor? Uh, oh no, I think that's at Malta. Um, next time, next time it's at Windsor. I'm going to have to get a get a rundown. I come over, much. We'll get you in. We'll get your tickets or whatever if you need to get in. That's it, man. I would I would appreciate that. And then the last question I'm going to ask you: Do you have any tops that mean a lot to you?
1: any tops that mean a lot to me so let me honest uh, sure. tops i am um, and my family gets them fair enough i'll have i'll have loads of training tops and all like mm-hmm. so anything i like got yeah but other than that, mid see any training see any match tops i get i can't even get a match top. i haven't got one myself my, my, my mommy has about four every year i got one like here where's my top like all right mommy you can take
0: it See, so Senna, that, that was exactly the same. I, I was talking to, like, Warren Feeney, and he talked about how you just give them all to his son. You know, it's always, always just a family. Yeah, always
1: give them a family. Always. But um, at the end of the season, I'll have some,
0: like, if you yeah. uh, want to be top. Oh, 100%, mate. 100%, get a frame. get a frame in the gym. Aye, you, you let me know. You give me a
1: text towards the end of the season. Any tops i get from there, I'll give it to you.
0: On percent, mate. it's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed this. I'll have to have you on again, and hopefully, your 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 move to wherever it is happens. You yeah, a good six months.
1: Yeah, hopefully, mate. Listening, you you get me sure anytime I come on and talk shit with you.
0: Yeah, that <laughs> it's been great.
1: Anytime. Thanks very much for having me, mate. Appreciate it. See you there boss.